Today's episode is brought to you by Better Beer Zero Carb. This award-winning zero-carb beer got sixth in the hottest 100 Aussie craft beers and a bronze at the 2022 Royal Queensland Food and Wine Show. It's an absolute stonker. Zero carbs, zero sugar, and only 87 calories per can. Uh, This award-winning crisp and mighty refreshing beer is simply made of the good stuff. The creme de la creme. Water, malt, hops, and yeast. The zero carb is 4.2% alcohol. Enjoy responsibly. Ain't That Swell presents... Today's call lord is the former World Junior Champion, former Australian Junior Series Champion, and former Quicksilver Hi-Fi skit cunt, Garrett Parks. Uh, Parksy Bra, aka White Fang, grew up in Byron Bay, uh, had a pretty plush existence, the son of a, an iconic shaper and kneeboarder. Um, then, you know, went down the, the path of being one of Quicksilver's elite surfers and, uh, you know, just one of Australia's best junior talents of his generation. Came painstakingly close to CT qualification a few times. Uh, I know he finished definitely one spot short. Uh, but then, curiously, as soon as he quit surfing, he joined the military and now finds himself working as uh, an emergency services respondent, abseiling out of choppers and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So uh, yeah, today's episode was, was a really fascinating one, uh, just to learn from a guy who you know, was not bogged down in any set identity and, and was so determined to grow and challenge himself and uh, yeah, just uh, explore the, the various realms of... Uh, living beyond his his Byron bubble and, and the pro surfing dream. A really sick one. Enjoy. We're away. Yo. G'day. Parksy bra. How are ya? Welcome to the swamp. Swamp magnet. Fresh out of the ice bath. Yeah, a bit of fucking weem hoff. Bit of hoff? Hoff on. How are you feeling? Feeling good. Just had a couple of days down the coast surfing, so it's good. Bit of camping, a few mm. beers. It's nice. Mm-mm. And... Uh, so you run into Chipper and Dion and Baron down there, but originally you were just you were just headed down there for a bit of solo time. Yeah, Monday night I was just chilling at home. I was like, "I'm going surfing," so I just packed the car up and went down for a couple of days and yeah, surf Creso Point and a couple of other spots. So that no, was fun. Is that something that you you usually do, like just disappear on, on solo little missions? I have been lately. Um, I've been living up north in Queensland doing seven days off on seven days off. So my week's off, I've just been cruising, going down to um, Agnes Waters a lot and mm. Double Island Point and Fraser. So, yeah, just got the 4 set up, been doing it solo. It's been good. I was just looking at a clip just then on Instagram of Double Island Point on that last little east swell and fuck, there was a lot of cars there. But... Uh, Classic. Looks like a hell time. Yeah, it's good fun. I don't even know. Are you meant to name names these days? Probably not. That I mean, that joint's so blown out anyway. Judging by the amount of cars <laughs> there, there's uh, yeah, yeah, not nah. a whole lot of secrecy around yeah, that joint. She'll be right. How was it? It was sick fun. Um, I got Because I, I finished midweek, I'm usually like cruising down there so, um, Mondays. So I was dipping in there midweek and 
having a um, couple of surfs and not too many people, which is always good. And so what's work for you these days? You're uh, jumping out of helicopters or something? Um, I wouldn't say jumping, but yeah. So I've about a year ago, I got a job for a company called Babcock Mission Critical Services. And they, um, they run search and rescue helicopters. So um, managed to get into that and I'm a rescue crew officer on a search and rescue helicopter now. Wow, that's wild. So what does that job entail? Um, so we do a wide range of things. Primarily, we do a lot of inter-hospital transfers, which is we'll go out to remote towns and communities and pick up sick people and bring them back to the base hospital. I was based in Rockhampton, so I've been living in Rockhampton for the last year of all places, which is a bit of a life change and spin out. But um, yeah, so we do inter-hospital transfers, primary accidents, so we go to car crashes, farm accidents, pretty much anything wow. where people need a high level of care. So, um, yeah, that's the main things. And then on top of that, we do search and rescue um, and winching. So if it's a remote area or a boat out at sea or sunken vessels, um, yeah, we can winch myself down or and uh, or the paramedic and... Um, pick the patient up and winch him back up in the chopper and take him back to the helicopter, um, hospital. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's wild. That is a wild, wild job. I mean, farm accidents, man, especially up in North Queensland and West Queensland would be a, a fairly common occurrence. Uh, I mean, my own, my auntie's husband actually uh, got killed by his own tractor, jumped out of gear, and oh, sorry, uh, fiance, uh, way back in the day. Yeah, it was just opening a gate on a property out in the bush where my family's from, and tractor jumped out of gear and just rolled him, killed him. So, yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that's the that kind of stuff's happening on the regular out there. Yeah, that and quad bikes and motor, the old motorbikes, they're always smoking people. But yeah, it's a wide range of things, and it's interesting. No two days are really the same. So, no, it's um. It's been pretty good. I'm loving it. Sick. How full on is that though? Like having to attend those kind of grizzly accident scenes. That must uh, must take a toll on you or, or not um, really? A lot of the time the paramedics and the fireys and the cops are there um, before us. So they've usually got the patient packaged up and we're just transporting. But on the odd occasion, you know, we're first on scene. And I've been pretty lucky so far. I haven't seen too much hectic stuff. And um, a lot of the jobs just end up rolling into one. And, you know, it's kind of day in day out so you're just out of sight out of mind and keep cracking on and yeah and so i guess your role then is to kind of uh, obviously ferry the patient but you you must be comforting them at different points in the chopper on the on the way to hospital yeah so we have the the pilot he's obviously flying the aircraft we got the air crewman who sits front left and also when we're doing a winch he'll jump in the back and he'll actually control the winch and put me up and down um, we've also got a paramedic and a doctor, so we got five of us on there generally. Um, so between all of us, we all have our different roles. But my main role is going going down the winch into um, yeah remote areas or or vessels or yeah wherever. Whoa! There's just rats <laughs> and dogs today. and flies. But yeah, so yeah, going down the winch. That's my bread and butter. It's pretty fun. Give us an example of uh, one of the gnarly call-outs you've done. I mean, the ones at sea, from what I've seen, look pretty psycho. Uh, I, I haven't seen what you do out there, but, um, yeah, I, I was watching a few videos recently of just the wildest 
boat rescues in the craziest seas, like just the most uh, exhilarating and extreme rescue missions you can possibly imagine is essentially kind of what you're doing, right? Yeah, I guess so. We're, we're the last line for when stuff goes bad for people, especially at sea. I guess that's why everyone has their EPIRB. If their vessel's taken on water or, you know, they end up in the drink, then that's once the EPIRB goes off, it um, goes, goes through the systems and then we get alerted and then we get launched. But... Um, I've done jobs onto uh, cruise ships where there's, you know, sick people on cruise ships out at sea and they have to get back to hospital, whether it be heart complications or other medical stuff. So that's always... COVID. COVID's what you really mean. Pretty much, it? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that stuff's fun. Uh, done a few small vessel jobs, which are a bit more, a bit gnarlier. They're not as um, much area and room for manoeuvring. Um, and then stuff out in the bush as well for trail bike crashes and stuff like that. So... Mm. Yeah, uh, it is it is good fun, but uh, it can be slightly dangerous. But everyone it, everyone's pretty pretty onto it. So, mm. what prompted that move, man? What a crazy career change! I mean, given where you, you grew up in Byron, uh, you know, by the coast. I mean, and you were lucky enough as well to to get a crib too. Like you bought a crib in town with you know the money made from your professional surfing career, which we'll get into in a bit. But I mean, why did you make the move to Rockhampton? Oh, it's a bit of a, a long story, but <clears throat> I was lifeguarding. Once I stopped competing, I um, had a bit of time off, and then I got into lifeguarding, and that was fun. I enjoyed being on the beach, and, you know, it's pretty interesting. You get to stay fit and hang at the beach and help people when stuff does go wrong. Um, and at the same time, I joined the Army, so I was in the Army Reserves uh, as a grunt for about five years. And my old CO from, from that unit, she used to fly helicopters in Afghan, and uh, we were having a few beers one night and I, I was mentioning I was, I was interested in getting into it and um, she knew some people who knew some people and um, yeah, kind of word of mouth, I got lucky and um, yeah, kind of just fell into it and got offered the opportunity and got offered the job and they were like, can you start in two weeks in Rockhampton? I was like, yeah, might as well. So I packed the Subi up and moved to Rocky two weeks later and then I've been up there for the last year and I just moved back actually so yeah pretty pretty wild year um steep learning curve lots going on but it's been an absolute um it's been a ball so far man that's unbelievable i mean especially when you think about what pro surfing is and surfing in general which is a culture that's all about the self you know just pleasing yourself getting as many waves as you can it's you against the rest of the lineup and the rest of the world most of the time and then you've completely undergone a role reversal where now your whole job is, is helping others yeah uh, how do you find that like I'm, it must be um satisfying in ways that just you maybe never could have imagined as a, an elite pro surfer which is like you know sold to us as the dream and it is in ways but it's also hollow in some ways because you're doing fuck all for anyone else aren't you yeah i mean i was pretty lucky i had a great great career i got to pay to travel and do surf contests and go on photo trips and pretty much live the dream for 15 my whole life up until i was you know mid-20s so yeah that was mental um but yeah big life life change once i did stop competing i, I could have just fired assed around byron and like you know been a chippy or done a normal job and and just cruise but i kind of always had that itch and you know to do something different and i'm pretty active and 
you know, through lifeguarding and giving back to the community that way, it kind of, it feels good helping people and, you know, it gives you a reason to wake up in the morning and stuff. So, um, yeah, everything from lifeguarding, army, helicopter rescue, it's all, um, it's all pretty fulfilling and, um, yeah, it it feels good to help people, I guess. And yeah, I don't know, (laughs) just kind of happened, but yeah, big, big 180 from surfing. Mate, that's an understatement. I mean, far out. Joining the army, you like? You must be the first surfer in history to voluntarily join the army. I'm pretty sure Wayne Lynch uh, spent a year on the run eating nothing but salmon heads and acid, trying to avoid getting conscripted, and you're just joining up voluntarily. Yeah, no, there's. You'd be surprised. There are quite a few dudes who join defence. Um, I don't know. It's something I always just had in the back of my mind um, when I was a grommet. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from, but. I don't know. I think uh, my great-grandfather was uh, in Gallipoli in charge of a Sheba back in the day. My, my grandma told me about that and I saw photos of him. Maybe that like sparked the interest and then, I don't know, it was just kind of something I wanted to do. And then once surfing wrapped up, I was like, what better time to do it now than now? So mm. just, yeah, and I, it, was, it was good. I enjoyed it. Did some cool stuff. So, But um, yeah, definitely different. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. I've got a similar family story. You know, uh, great-granddad uh, was in the Light Horse Brigade, I think. Yeah, know. my great-grandfather was in the Light Horse, too. Yeah, so I guess that was a pretty common thing for Australians in the military back in the day. Uh, there's a lot of horsemen out here in, in those early years. And uh, and then I think my, my granddad was in the Second World War. And then uh, when conscription came around for my old man, my granddad said to him, you know, being a military family, he was like, um, you know, if this was a just war, if we were fighting for our country, I'd, I'd fucking take you there and sign you up. But that's not what this war is. So if it kicks off and you get conscripted, I'm going to send you to New Zealand because it was a war that was a sham. It was about, you know, just uh, fulfilling America's thirst for resources, tin and tungsten and uh, just imperialism gone mad. Um, and I guess that's the... That's the reason why people like Wayne Lynch went on the run and <clears throat> that's still a major criticism of uh, the military industrial complex today is that, you know, we're no longer, we're, we're fighting for a materialist consumer reality and lifestyle as opposed to. Yeah, it, it can be pretty convoluted and fucked up, but I don't know, I don't even think about the politics at all or things like that. You know, I didn't really think about that. I just just did it because I felt like I wanted to do it and it was something I was interested in so if I never had to go to the Middle East or anything like that um I did a few other bits and pieces went to Malaysia on some training axes and stuff like that and spent a bit of time in Darwin with the Navy but I mean I don't think anyone in defense really thinks about that but I don't know it is Mm. what it is there's two sides to every (laughs) every story but um yeah I don't know it is what it is Mm. Yeah, I knew a heap of guys in uh, the Army and Navy, uh, guys I played football with. They were classic characters, still good mates. And, uh, you know, like, you'd be at training on Wednesday and you'd be like, fucking, you know, where's old man? And it's like, oh, no, he's gone to the Persian Gulf for six months. He shipped out. Or, like, they'd go to Timor or, or somewhere and, and spend six months at sea and come back just fucking jacked, like, so huge. Yeah. So had nothing to do but pump weights and shoot driftwood. Yeah, well, that was pretty much... <laughs> Me, when I was in the Northern Territory for, you know, a year, didn't hardly surf, if at all. It's the longest I ever had out of the water, I think. So I was just smashing food and 
doing weights and turned into a little chode pretty much. <laughs> Came back and tried to start surfing. I just pretty much felt like I had cinder blocks in my hands. But, yeah. Up but, for a new quiver. Many yeah, boards a couple work. of extra liters mm. were in, 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 uh, in order. Hey, talk us through like your your fond memories of of, of being in the the armed forces. Like, I mean, paint the scene for us. What what what's what's it like deploying to Malaysia or uh, um, even the Northern Territory? Any of these places? Yeah, I mean, I I won't ever claim to have done anything overly psycho at all. You know, I never did anything kinetic. But I went reserves, so I could still have a life outside of. Of army, I was lifeguarding at the same times too, so um, they balanced out well. I did stints of, of full time on contract, um, but yeah, it is kind of the way you imagine it. It can be pretty strict, it can be pretty stressful. Um, it's good fun though, being out in the bush and doing exercise and hanging with your mates and talking shit and you know, shooting guns and rockets. And it's been in the jungle, everyone kind of didn't like, but. I kind of like the jungle in Malaysia. It was kind of fun. It was challenging. It was wet, hot, covered in leeches, mozzies when you're out field. So it's definitely an experience, something I'm stoked I did. Um, yeah, it was a great time. And then a bit of time up in Darwin with the Navy, sailing around the top end, doing border patrol, um, looking for illegal fishermen, mm. um, illegal in- entrance and stuff like that. Um, lots of fishing on the boats up there. True. So that was sick. So we weren't just always, you know, Marching around and doing mm. stupid stuff like that. Any but dynamite fishing, rocket launcher fishing? <laughs> no rocket launcher fishing, <laughs> but um, nah, fishing off the back of a warship's pretty fun. You know, that's an experience. It's all those little things, you know, that sometimes I just find myself pinch myself going, "How did I end up here doing <laughs> this?" I remember this one time we were sitting in the junior sailors' mess and we had um, pay TV on there through the satellite and the surfing was on, the CT was on. I'm sitting there, I remember cleaning my my gad or something. We just you know, how to, sh- how to shoot. And um, I was there going, watching like Felipe Toledo or something. I was like, they're there and I'm here. Like, <laughs> how did this happen? But um, that was quite a comical moment, eh? That's amazing. <laughs> Fuck, that's so classic. And I mean, all those experiences, what they are is character building, man. Yeah. And that, that's, that's not nothing. Like, uh, I, I ultimately really respect... Uh, people who throw themselves into the the blast furnace of life and, and challenge themselves, um, and, and you know, step yeah. foot into the unknown. I, I really admire those those qualities. So. That was kind of it for me too. You know, after, after surfing, going into that it was a complete different, um, you know, way of life, and you know, even basic training, just like going from being a surfer and being carefree and whatever. It taught me a lot of discipline. It taught me, you know, how to get stuff done, how to like work hard, and you know get things done on time and, I don't know, heaps of other stuff, which has transferred well into what I'm doing now. So that's helped me a lot in life and, yeah, it was a good experience. So, yeah, glad I did it. Mm. Speaking of CTs, you surfed in a handful of them. Yeah, I'm kind of like, I guess, kind of made it but didn't really make it. But <laughs> I don't really mind about that. I, I got paid to travel and surf. So the way I look at it is I had the golden ticket it was it was the dream. Um, you know, I was on the cusp for the CT. I think I was first reserve the year that I was um, pretty close. But I got to surf snapper a couple of times, and Quickie gave me the wild card one year. I won the trials another year, so I got to surf snapper with a handful of guys and 
got to surf against Slater at Snapper and stuff. So, you know, all those little things I can look back on and be pretty stoked about. And then went to Chopes and it was absolutely reeking and I got smoked first round, but <laughs> whatever. Crazy, man. Crazy life. I mean, talk to us about coming up against the goat at Snapper. What were the conditions like that day? I'm pretty sure I surfed against him. Yeah, I think it was against Kolohe. I can't remember. I'd have to look it up. It was that long ago. Um, unless I'm talking absolute shit. Well, nah, that's generally what happens. The, yeah. the wild cards and trialists come up against the top seeds. I think so. Or it might have been Parco or Mick. I can't remember. Either way, surfing snapper with three dudes out was pretty mental. Um, I remember I surfed a heat against Fanny. I think I broke three boards in one heat. I was just like, no. <laughs> what? It was pumping, though. I must have just been getting lipped in the head every wave. <laughs> <laughs> like behind the rock snapper. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah, it was cooking. That's amazing. They're, they're incredible memories, man. Yeah. Like, frick. Uh, that, that is an experience that 0.01% of people on the planet have had. And 0.01% of people on the planet will ever have the ability to get themselves into that situation. Yeah. I mean, all those those little moments I look back on, um, pretty stoked. And I had a ball, man. I had the best time ever. I got kind of got the golden years of when surfing before it went too strooped and torched. And um, yeah, we had a hell time on tour and doing the QE and carrying on and surfing and all the other bits in between. Yeah, I mean, you had a crazy career from memory. Uh, we are talking on the ground the other day. You won a world junior title? Yeah, not the ASP. It was ISA. Oh, ISA. So kind of like... It's still pretty massive. They're yeah, I super think, massive in the under-16s and stuff. Yeah, back like, in the day, it was... Um, everyone was in I think things. that was associated with the Olympics. Like, the dude who was running ISAs was trying to get surfing into the Olympics. And... Yeah, so it was kind of prestigious back then, I guess. So Everyone was in them, like Owen, Jordy yeah. Smith, Flores, like Julian. Julian. Yeah. yeah, we had a hell team. I remember the first year we went to the Worlds was in Brazil and we had Wilco, Julian, uh, Owen, Vassa, Sally Fitz, David Cathels, um, Caleb Reed. Yeah, Bronte, he was I know, yeah, he come third, I'm pretty sure. Beat... Uh, beat Flores yeah, from memory lost so. to Jordy yeah. and uh, Ju- Julian or something like that. Yeah, yeah, full bolter from Bronny. Yeah, so that was the first year, and then the second year was Portugal. We had a mental team too, and then the third year I went was Ecuador, and I yeah I stunk it up that year. Mm. But Dean Bowen went well, I think. True. Yeah. Wow, the slab charmer just <laughs> groveling it out in some South American beach. Oh, a gatekeeper. <laughs> Classic. Haven't haven't seen him for ages, but nah, good memories. All that stuff's pretty pretty fun to look back on. And then, uh, so from there, you you signed to Quick, or you already signed to Quick at that point. What age were you? I think I got sponsored by Quick when I was ten. I remember I was surfing Agnes Waters Point, and um, my mum's friend we were out there camping, and she like brought the little contract up. I think I was just getting a sticker pack and a couple of clothes, and then yeah, I think I was ten. I was riding fourth. I still remember the boards. I still got the boards. I remember putting the stickers on. I was, Best day of your life as a grown up, getting to put stickers on your board. As a 10-year-old, you would have been shivitting. Yeah, I was true to mind. I think Willsy kind of towed us into it. He was, he was, you know, my icon back in the day. He took me under his wing. and Yeah, from there it was just doing grom comps and surf trips and, you know, living every grom stream. I was mental. Just wearing boardies that were way too big for me. 
and had oversized stickers on your board, little blonde-haired ferret just heckling people out the pass pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk to us about some of your, your local influences and role models back in the day. Willsey, obviously, I mean, Craig Water was around in those days. Uh, who else? KP, I guess. Like, yeah. <coughs> who, All those dudes. KP, yeah. Willsey, Water. Oh, the list is so long, man. Um, Bo Walker. Um, Nitro. Nitro. Jody Walker. We had we had crews of surfing back. Are they the related? No. Oh. No. Um, there's so many dudes, man. Um, Corey Garcia, they were old shredders. Um, you know, Yaron Brown. Heaps of dudes like that. And then Yeah. That was that was a pretty sick little little time. And what kind of role did you mention Willsey, like what kind of role did he have on your your career and I guess even your your, your personality and, and rise through the ranks. Yeah, well, I guess once I rode for Quick, we were always doing little photo shoots down at Foster and that, so he'd always take me down in the, the club sport. <laughs> <laughs> V8 club sport, fuck. Did you, you must have done some mental burnouts and doughies with Willsey. Oh, I don't over think, the years I think he's no. pretty responsible, dude. True. Yeah. Waits till you're out of the car yeah. and just starts fucking gapping it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but nah. I think every Grom environment looked up to Willsey back in the day. He was kind of the man, so pretty good dude to, you know, have show you the ropes and you surfed absolutely mental, so big boots to fill. Mm-hmm. And talk to us about Byron back in the day, man. I mean, uh, how's it changed and, and, yeah, what was it like? What are your memories of it early on? Just to paint people a bit of a picture. I mean... Oh, it was pretty, it's changed so much. I don't want to harp on about it now because, you know, you can, you can be bitter and angry about mm. the skitsness that it is now. A lot of people are. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild now. But it was just a surf town. Everyone at high school surfed still. Everyone still went to the high, um, same school. Um, if you weren't surfing the past, you are surfing tallows. You used to, it was the days when you actually used to ride your bike to school, um, school and to the beach. And have to call, and if you did get dropped there, you'd have to get in the Telstra payphone and quickly pick it up. Like, pick me up, <laughs> pass, <laughs> main beach. <laughs> um, yeah, it was sick. It was it was a lot 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 more chilled. Everyone kind of knew. You'd walk down the street and you actually knew someone. Um, yeah, it was it was just like every other town on the east coast, I guess. Um, I don't know, but. It had the hippie side of it, it had the backpacker side of it, which was probably everyone used to talk about backpackers getting around town and being in the surf, but I'd much rather backpackers getting around than skitsy schvens in their souped up Teslas, <laughs> <laughs> fanging it around and just, I don't know. Fanging yeah. around in silence, just cleaning yeah. up bush turkeys yeah, left, right. I don't know. It's just so chockers now and, oh, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. It's, Lots of cashola. There's heaps of cashola. Yeah. Oh, I know the process well. Gentrification. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's a fucking weird one, isn't it? Like, I what, guess. What do you do, though? It's like, if you can't deal with change and it is what it is, you're just pretty much going to move. Yeah. And um, it's still epic. Don't get me wrong, but it's just, you know. It's had a lot of changes. It's fucked up though. Getting priced out of your community is fucked up. Like what price on community? Community is everything. Well, that's what trips me out is, you know, 
growing up with your mates in the same neighborhood and stuff like that. And I guess a lot of my friends aren't ever going to be able to own a house in Byron because it's just so ridiculously expensive. A lot of people have had to move out of town, you know, whether it's down the coast or inland or, you know, stuff like that. So Yeah, and, and they get displaced. And the people who displace them, they don't have any community either because, you know, it's pretty hard to develop community, you know, if you're not involved in local clubs and uh, stuff like that. So and those people tend not to be, you know, the, yeah. the elites, like they, they land on a joint, they buy up property, um, you know, they they think that material wealth is going to make them happy. It, it never can. We're not wired like that. So they yeah. end up displacing a community and then not forming a community of their own. So it, it's like a, a double whammy. Yeah, it's, it's all they make their own community within a community and then you're the outsider, kind of. Yeah, but it's I don't like, know if they do. What's their, what is their idea of community like? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, they're not playing in the football teams. They're not in the board riders, you know. Some of them do, I guess, but not all of them. Some people don't even surf who move to Byron, so it's like, I don't know, go to the Wadigos and sit mm. under an umbrella and go to Ray's and have a coffee and then do something else. Yeah. Stripped. That's like, yeah. <laughs> do, do lighthouse walks. Yeah, like, none of this is community, but that's like, you know, that's the difference between a friendship and a community, right? Like, you go to Ray's or go on a lighthouse walk with one or two other people. Yeah. A community is going to an event where you know fucking 20 to 50 to 100 people. Yeah. And uh, you're not valued for anything apart from your, your banter and your presence. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, and, and, your, and your history and your ties to that community. Yeah, it is still there. I mean, board riders clubs are probably the best way you can do it. There's nothing... I still love going down to board riders and catching up with everyone and hanging out and... Drinking beers and eating sausage sangers and having a few surfs and the best. Even even just going and watching the local Red Devils play. That's always a mental little community event mm. on the hill. There it always gets people together. So there is like bits and pieces, but but well, I guess my point is that the people who move here aren't doing that. Like yeah. you're still doing that as your dad and and like generations upon generations have done that. That's how yeah. communities evolve and come together. But uh, when people move to an area that they don't often connect with the, the local community events. They, they create their own culture, but that culture that is created is fucking hollow and shallow and based on wealth and hotness and all these toxic virtues and, you know, throw in fucking benzos and antidepressants because that's the only way you feel any satisfaction living a hollow existence like that. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know what they're They've got to get down to Red Devil Park and yeah, fucking take Red a Devil bang Park. a couple up, you dogs, eh? <laughs> yeah, feed them. But um, I don't know, dude. I'm just cruising. I just, I got my friends and my family and stuff like that. So I'm friendly, trying to be friendly to everyone and let people do their thing, whatever. Byron's too far, far gone to do anything about it now. So just got to accept it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's the ultimate truth. Like, you, if you're letting it destroy your peace, then you, you've lost. Like, th yeah. that's all that matters. I mean, I was pretty, you know few years, years ago, and we'll say 10 years ago now, you know, when it started getting busy, you get a bit, you know, rough around the edges in the surf and a bit torched and a bit angry sometimes, but it got to a point where you're like, if you're angry every time you paddle out because there's new people you don't know and it's busy and it's crowded, then your surf just sucks anyway. So exactly. you're better off just trying to, you know, be friendly to everyone and, I don't know, just surf and take it for what it is, I guess. Mm. 
before the gentrification happened or almost in parallel with it, uh, your generation like had a couple of really massive cultural achievements. Um, Parkway Drive was a, a huge cultural force, still is. Yeah, they're uh, playing this Sunday actually up at Knotfest. Where's that? In Brizzy. No big, way. Big festival. Fuck, they wouldn't play that many shows anymore, huh? They do overseas. They haven't played in Oz for ages, but um, they're playing with Slipknot, so it's going to be Wow. Skits. That will be so psycho. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. And I mean, that was, that was a scene that, I mean, how old are those guys in relationship to you? They're like, oh, how old am I now? I'm 31, so... They're late 30s, early 40s. So when I was in year seven, they were just finishing year 12 at Byron High. So they're a bit older than me. But all the crews in Byron kind of noted each other through surfing mm. and stuff. So, um, yeah, the hardcore scene when it started in Byron was wild, man. It was so sick. Mm. Like, bands had come from America and played Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney, Brisbane, and then Byron in the little youth centre. yeah like the biggest hardcore bands in the world and they come and stay at Byron and you know get the full Byron experience with the boys and then they play at the youthy and it'd just be this little shared with 150 grommets and dudes just doing spin kicks and stage diving and mic grabs (laughs) and just like belting each other and like just full we were just full school kids like it was it was sick every Thursday night pretty much we'd they'd have a show and it was like 10 bucks and yeah, and you'd go and you'd mosh and like it was sick. Everyone was starting bands and stuff and it's like our own little vortex of I don't know, energy. Yeah. Like, it was sick. It was That's like, what it, it is. Was, it was all alcohol and it was all drug free, like mental which was really straight good. edge. Yeah. As they Heaps say. Of dudes were edge back in the day. <laughs> which was cool, like it was it was a good positive experience. Like there's no unless you were there, you can't explain it to anyone like it was such a niche little thing for a few years there. And yeah, it was very unique. Lots of fun too. Super interesting, man. Like that is what it is. You're creating energy out of nothing. Yeah. Out of fucking banging some drums and playing guitars and just moving the chi. But like moving the chi in a way that's explosive and it creates an explosive energy. Like holy shit, man. That must have reverberated through your mates and through the whole town and community, like cunts would have been fucking charged up for days after those gigs. Yeah, well, I guess that's what hardcore is, you know. It's 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 so intense and chunk and, you know, it like it, it really brings out a lot of energy in people and it was a good way for the kids to like express themselves and kind of just go mad but in a positive way. And, you know, we got... <clears throat> We got to watch some epic bands, man. Like bands from New York and Boston and they'd come to Oz and play the youth centre. It was skits. It was really, really good time, eh? And talk to us about Parkway Drive. Obviously, uh, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, so a lot of our listeners might not be aware of their story, but you know, give us the give us the kind of uh, overview of, of what happened there. Oh well I'll give it to the best of my knowledge, but um We'll get we'll get one of the lads yeah, on. We'll like, get get Pig or someone on yeah. sometime. But um yeah, well, shows started at the Youthy. They started playing gigs there. They released a few albums. Um, and then once they started getting bigger, the Youthy wasn't big enough, and so they started playing at the high school. And then, you know, we'd have, we'd have shows at the high school. 
in the hall where we'd like sit and have our assemblies and our exams. No way. So I can't believe so the school let that happen. That Like, it's epic that they did, but... Yeah, it was... Fuck, it was, they weren't doing that in Sydney, that's for venue sure. for it. And, mm. um, and, was it so, and I guess the school had to approve it, right? Yeah, yeah, well, for sure. Not, but, but they all went to school at Byron High anyway. Right. So they all knew them and they, a lot of the, all the teachers were supportive of it. And because it, it was an alcohol-free event and stuff like that, there was, there was no booze. So, um, no alcohol. I, I don't see a problem with this. So, <laughs> what, what does the music sound like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would have been tripping. It was really loud. You could hear it from my house. I'm pretty sure anywhere within like three Ks could have heard it. It was pretty skits. Um, but yeah, and then, then they just, you know, the rest is history. They blew up and started touring Europe and playing with, you know, some of the biggest metal bands in the world. Got huge in Europe and America and yeah. Relates to a bunch of albums now. Now one of the biggest metal bands in the world. That's the trippy part of the story, but and I guess that's where it relates to Byron in a sense. Like they had to crack it by going overseas, right? Like, and they they did it the hard way. Like they fucking, you know, it was like just mucking into a tour bus, playing a trillion gigs until you were big, until people took notice. Like that is such a fucking staunch way yeah. to go about your business just to not take no for an answer to fucking kick the door off the hinges yeah it's pretty core like, it's as core as it gets five dudes in a van driving around europe you know playing music but the music they were playing was so epic that as soon as people heard them it was inevitable that they were gonna go go big and to see like people you knew from your town blow up like that and have that kind of work ethic and um you know, yeah. just get up and go. Like, that must have left an imprint on the whole generation of, of, of people from Byron. Yeah, they definitely spent years and years on, on the road, lots of time away from their family and friends. And, um, yeah, I don't know. And I'm sure they're stoked now because they're just cruising. But, um, <laughs> no, good times. Yeah, it's interesting, man, because, uh, you know, obviously we've got a lot of mutual friends and, like, you know, I've been living up here on and off since I was 23 and... Um, you know, the other big thing that come out of here was offense and uh, Deco and Jono and that. And um, I guess like they're pretty much the same generation, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're all around the same And age. also fucking huge, a huge company, self-made. Um, and like, you know, this is just not how people think where I'm from. Like people aren't thinking about starting a fucking hardcore band and, traveling the world and, and, and trying to crack it or starting a fashion label people are thinking about getting a fucking plumbing apprenticeship you know <laughs> and like yeah, or, or that, getting a job on the garbos or the wharves or the council like it's a, a whole different mentality yeah well i guess it, it's a country town it's a small town it always had that kind of arty vibe whether it be i don't know just the image that byron is it's a bit different it's a bit alternative so you know music and art and surfing and Doing things a bit different, it's kind of always. Yeah, you got been, the sannyasins over that hill. You got the fucking acid acid casualties. You got the drum circles. You yeah. got like uh, cooking waves. I mean, let's not forget like surf culture has always been a, a progressive, like truth based kind of outlaw culture where people would rather do anything, um, but get a real job if it's going to take them away from surfing. So they're, they're they. I think that, to be honest, is probably at the core of the motivation i mean for those guys for both offense and parkway driving a lot of ways it's like fuck i don't, I don't want to be a plumber i want the waves cook up here all the time yeah I'd and rather... i guess like 
not being in the city, there probably wasn't as much stuff to do around town. So, you know, if you weren't surfing, you were dudes were jamming or no matter what music it was or do, doing art or, I don't know, whatever. So there was lots of lots of different avenues dudes could have taken to do cool stuff and a lot of guys have, which is good. Man, yeah, such an interesting town, man. It's 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 wild. Like it's got a, a a crazy strike rate for producing, you know, really eccentric and uh, pretty influential characters. It's a town of fucking ten thousand people. People forget that. It's a yeah, t- tiny it was, little it town. It was tiny. Like even you know, growing up back in the day, mm. I don't know how many it is now. A lot more, mm. obviously. But um, yeah, it was just a small. It was an industrial town, like. I'm not going to get into the history of it, but well, my mates, when they left high school, they were still working at Sunny Brand across from the industrial estate at the, at the chicken farm, mm. like doing shifts there, like at the meatworks and stuff. Like, and that was only, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So, you know, if you were a grommet, you'd work at the Sunny Brand chicken farm or mm. stuff like that. And milk Norco used to be here and stuff. Mm. And, uh, I have really vague memories of maybe the first time I come up here when I was probably 10 or something. And what was the industrial estate was still like a fucking like kind of, maybe it was just a disheveled like ex piggery or, or there was some like, what did it used to be? Like it, it was all like, it's all like zhuzhed up now, but yeah, it's very zhuzhed. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I'll have these like, it was it, an it, industrial estate. Yeah. But it was like in a was surfboard factory. Exactly. Was but it was all was, decrepit. And there was, I just remember like bombed out fucking the, the bombed out carcasses of dead businesses and spray paint. And like, yeah, it, was it was so flogged. It was just, it was just, you know, exactly what it was. It was an industrial estate. And with the chicken farm across the road, whenever it would blow westerly, the place just just absolutely reek. It was so <laughs> stinky, man. It was crook. Yeah, those things, funnily enough, just drop the price on property. Like, uh, probably bo- like closed down. A hundred percent. Yeah, like Bondi had. Uh, the st- people forget that Bondi had until the nineties, like a stink pipe on the beach that <clears throat> used to just pump fucking hospital waste and like sewage straight onto the sand and into the water and the water was brown a lot of the time and you know everyone was getting fucking ear infections and like was just a reeking slum for like 70 years and then yeah that got removed in whenever it was the mid 90s and it the zhuzhing began (laughs) (laughs) but like i'm yeah so i mean i guess in a lot of ways byron had a similar trajectory in some ways like the other thing that people have to realise, I guess, about Byron and the North Coast was that, you know, for my whole life, until about, what are we, probably until about 10 years ago, maybe, it was maybe a little bit longer, but there was no work up here. Yeah. Like, you could not get work. There were, like, everyone had to move to Sydney. It was like every other country town in Australia where there's no, no jobs. So you move to the city to get work. And that's where I met a lot of guys from up here, was in the city, and, uh, you know, they surfed and I surfed and that's where we become friends. But, um, yeah, it was like, it was tough times. It was fucking grow dope and, uh, like, be a fucking, you know, semi-employed chippy. Make surfboards or make be surfboards. a or something like that, I guess. But now, yeah, like, I guess a lot of people like to move away to go to uni if that's the way you want to do it. But make surfboards or be a chippy. Mm. What about your old man made surfboards? Yeah, he's been making boards for, I don't know, like 40 years now. 
Matt Cronley, he's a kneeboarder, you know that. Like, he's, he's been shaping for years. He's making all my boards still at the moment. Since I stopped competing, I don't really need the skitsy HP top-of-the-line board. So he's been making me some mantle little fishes that go really fast. Um, don't require too much, you know, Huntington hop and pumping and, like, looking real skits like you want to kill the wave. Glad you said that. It was funny because, you know, you almost lamented in the tone of your voice when you said he's, he's a kneeboarder. But, man, there's plenty of love for Nilos on this program. Like, yeah. underrated in terms of how deeply pitted they were getting way before anyone else, yeah. for one. Um, for two, also, like, I feel like the the outlines and a lot of the board designs that they come up with are actually, like, well, so applicable to stand-up surfing. And, and at, like, you're talking about fishes and, and boards that go good on the points. Like, you kind of want something that's pretty similar. Yeah, I guess that's probably where the fish kind of came from. You know, knee boards were, sh- were shorter and wider and thicker and they could surf a lot of the reef breaks and get pitted before the single fin stand-up dudes d- did. That's where they got a lot of their respect from back in the day is because they could actually surf the chunk waves and get chewed. And that's why knee boarding was such a big thing back in the day. Like, going to the Worlds, they used to have a knee, knee board division in it as well. Mm. back in the day dad went to worlds and stuff in france back in the day and um it's packing skits and dredges at lagrab and shit fucking oh it's getting blown out oh my god <laughs> yeah he used to he used to he loves the big stuff so he used to go down the south coast a lot and i'm not going to say say names but yeah a few left left handers um down down that way mental yeah because still charges fuck they're like so suited to those kinds of conditions like the knifing on a on an e-board it, it's so compact it's like it, it's almost more suited to to slabs than standing up on them standing up in a in a slabbing pit like it's it's high-end skill yeah. it's an amazing thing to watch and to do but um the nilo seems a bit more functional in that space there's just less less distance for him to have to travel to get, get, get onto their board yeah and you got you got some of them wear fins too, so they're right into it. Fully. Yeah. Dad gets pitted. He even used to do barrel rolls on the thing. It was sick. So, cheers, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Man, if they had a Nilo World Tour, I mean, what would it look like? Like, what would be the, the ultimate, like, waves for a kneeboard if they were to have their dream tour? I don't know. I, I haven't kneeboarded in years. You'd probably have to ask Shane Simpson... He's like the best Nilo getting around these days. He just won the Phillip Island Kneeboard Contest, actually. They True. had that down the coast last week. Dad went down. Uh, uh, at, at one of the beaches down there or one of the slabs? Yeah, oh, Nah, they just have it at Woolamai. True. It's been going for like 38 years, though, that event. Oh, so that's one of the real big ones on the calendar? It's pretty much the only kneeboard event in Australia. No way. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad, man. It's yeah. pretty forgotten there's art. A, there are core, there's still a lot of them. Core dudes, but there's definitely not as many as there was, but... There's a few kicking around still. Yeah, yeah. I uh, surfing a, a slab in Indo, actually. Uh, and fuck, man, there was a, a core Nilo there getting like, I want to say stand-up hits, but not <laughs> he's not clearly not standing up. But like, just like packing the craziest blue drainers. Just kneeling and dealing. Fuck, man. I was like, I was, you know, you, you see a Nilo with flippers and you kind of suss on them for a while. You're like, oh... Can this guy actually surf or what is going on here? And the next minute he's just in a five foot nugget fucking 
just getting his corner absolutely rinsed. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, the rinsing is. It's more of a fucking more of a more of a like a smeg rinse, like a <laughs> more of a, a hip rinse. Yeah, hip rinse. Yeah. Yeah. Some type of rinsing. Yeah, there's a fair thrust of water just coming straight down the chute, straight between the legs. They'd have the full sparkling translucent python snake just still getting the vis, but big time. Deep vis. Deep vis. Doesn't doesn't matter how you get it really. As long as you Well that's the point. If that's, you can get it on your gut, if you can get it on your knees. Fuck. If the you can just pit it on a longboard. Yeah, but you don't. So like guess, yeah. they're the ones who are getting stitched up. But then <laughs> <laughs> but they, but then again, like they can surf one and two foot waves, as you well know now, um, and have the best time ever, and, and go like light speed on fucking tiny little waves, yeah, long. and never get hurt, which is uh, the other thing. Unless you're not wearing a leg rope, but we won't yeah. go into that. Unless you get creased by some other kind's fucking yeah. legless board. Yeah, we won't, we won't, we won't go there today. But nah, but you're in hot topic. You got into logging, right? When you yeah, I've been. I started logging probably. Actually, actually, probably 10 years ago nearly now. Well, if it's raging southerly, Tallow's is crook. So you got the pass. And if it's one foot, you got to a stage where you look like an absolute gumby if you're out the pass and it's one foot and you're on a short board going, just pumping down the line, just using all this energy, just, you know, trying to whack it 18 times. So if it's blowing southerly, you can go on longboard and ride waves for like ages and have the best time ever. If it's good on the other side, go ride a shortboard. It's pretty much just ride the right board for the conditions. A lot of people still haven't clicked onto that. Exactly. I mean, we had uh, Dane Gudang on the potty the other week and we are just talking about that. Like, you know, the more energy you ride, the more energy you connect with in the ocean, the more you're winning in life. Like, the, You carry that energy, that, that Mark Healy quote of like the fucking, uh, you know, a storm creates waves and creates energy and that those waves hit the coast and the people who ride those waves the energy lives on in them i reckon that's fucking yeah pretty bang sure. on i think that's actually like quantum theory or quantum physics like some high-end egghead shit but yeah. uh yeah a bit, bit outside my brain spectrum but yeah longboarding no i wouldn't say changed my life but it opened up a whole like new world i longboard just as much as i pretty much shortboard now so mm. yeah it's yeah, good. nose riding is really hard. My style's reeking, but you know I enjoy riding switch, and you know I can get up the beak a little bit. But you know, you watch the guys who can nose ride really good. It's actually really hard, and to look look good doing it, it's like it's skits. Oh, you gotta look good. If you don't look good in surfing, people fucking hate you. Yeah, they hate you. That's what I realize. Like you get now. treated worse at the pub at like. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I can't believe they took style out of. Out of the criteria, I Oh, but it still exists in the land-based criteria of yeah. a, of your average surf town. Like, it's not on the Washer Surf League. Nah, that's <laughs> 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 nah. Then, um, Quicksilver days, like Young Guns. Uh, what was it? Just Young Guns three. You're in. Yeah, yeah. Pretty fucking psycho surf film. Looking back on it, like, uh, what was it? Reynolds, Slater, Marzo, Crakey yourself and you had to like win a comp to get into the film yeah. in the first place right? yeah, it was a pretty torched way of getting into it so they had like a few of the quickie groms and we went to foster and stuff for a, a week and surfed and filmed and then i guess they kind of tried to make it look like a competition and i managed to swindle my way on there and 
pretty much we had like a month filming period after that and went up up and down the east coast for a bit and then we went to to bali and filmed a bunch at Karamas and Changu and did a little G-Land trip and yeah that was um that was crazy eh that was that was a life-changing experience for me being a 15 year old buck tooth bracer face grommet like going on trips with Marzo and Crakey and Reynolds like <laughs> such a spin out like I can't even believe I got to do it like I'm just this washed up dude now and those guys are still living the dream I'm just yeah, it was pretty cool. Watching Reynolds, like he was my favourite surfer. I was tripping out. Yeah, what do you remember of, of those sessions? There must be certain sessions or, or even just single moves that, that stand out from that period that really just lodged. I remember surfing, where were we? We were at Yambo and surfing Turners and the left wedge up in the corner and Crakey and Marzo just going so mental. That's when like f- big fin throw tail blasts were like all the rage and those two dudes just had them on lock um julian section from karamas he was doing like skits punts and stuff watching him i don't know just watching the stuff happen in real life and then seeing it in a video like i watched it the other day for the first time in years and i was like can't believe i was there and like got to witness that it was pretty pretty wild so wild man i mean far out like Marzo and Reynolds, they're like, especially at that time, they were like a glitch in the matrix. Like Marzo in particular, just doing turns that like kind of defied physics and like just didn't really make sense to the to the, the naked eye. Like you're looking at it going, what just happened there? And he's like riding out of it and he's doing like another fin throw afterwards. Like it was fucking mind-melting shit. Yeah, he's nuts. And like I was watching... Young Guns too, even before that movie. So like, well, I was, I was frothing on that whole. I don't know. What am I even saying, dude? <laughs> um, Mate, you're like, allowed to. Like, you're I, to... I knew the expectation of, and that, like that was like my favorite movie that I'd watch and eight times before I went surfing. And then all of a sudden, I'm there doing it and having to try and surf good. And yeah, it was pretty cool. It's mental. You section psycho doing like crazy oops and shit. Like fifteen years old. Like it doesn't look out of place in that film at all. Yeah, I mean, I think I got a lot better at surfing in that two weeks because I had to. You know, I had. I think I learned to do finners on that trip just because if I wasn't doing finners, I looked like a kook. So, um, yeah. Fucking wild, but you're fifteen. Mad. <laughs> Very mad. You're fifteen years old. And, you know, those guys are, I don't know how much older Marzo was, probably like 18 at that point. Yeah, he would have probably been two or three years older than me. Yeah. Craig was old again. And Julian was a year or two older than me as well. Yeah. So they're a little bit older. And, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, just being in that environment can just push you to that next level. And it can happen that quick when you're around, when you're seeing, like, their body positioning and the way they approach a section and stuff like that that – you can immediately see what to do to get to that next level. Yeah. It's pretty tripped out. Definitely helps. We had fun on that trip too, definitely. Man, and uh, you're saying too, like, in those quick days, Willsie, early mentor, and then it was Crakey and, and Hoyo were the two guys you naturally <laughs> gravitated towards. Yeah. This is, like, when team trips were still a thing, you know? Like, they'd do it, like, they'd have a release coming up for a winter range, so you'd go and do a 
a surf trip because they'd have to shoot all the product and stuff. So now you'd have Hoyo, Wilsey, Wardo, Maz Quinn, Julian. You know, you'd go to Foster and you'd stay there and get a house and you'd surf for a week. And like, it was the sickest thing ever. And then Hoyo just showing me, teaching me how to drink beers. Mm. <laughs> good times. They taught, him and Craig, he taught me a lot how to... um. Have a good time. Yeah, and it's no joke, man. Like uh, I remember chatting to Craigie about this years ago, and he was like, you know, he was Hoyo's like right hand man for for a long time, yeah. and he was like saying like this is along the similar lines to you. He's like, yeah, like I just learned so much about you know how to be, how to act around people, how to make people feel welcome. Like everywhere you'd go with Hoyo, he'd know people yeah. everywhere, and like they'd love to see him, and yeah. he was just like. Um, just uh, like those two guys, Crakey and Hoyo, are as laconic, classic bogans. Oh, you walk into any pub on the East Coast with Hoyo and Crakey and have beers, and it's just, it's always a good time. Fuck, they're good value, man. Both of them are, are very funny, fucking like unpretentious. Yeah. I mean, well, you... I haven't seen Crakey in years. I'll be frothing to catch up with him. Yeah, I, uh, I have to get over to the West one day. Yeah, me and Caleb actually drove up in the uh, that panel van that you can see rotting in the the backyard yeah, there. I was wondering what happened to the shagging wagon. Mm, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened. Fucking Rego happened, you fucking dog. Hey, knocking it back over rust. Fucking no heart, mate. They got no respect. No respect, bruh. No respect for the fucking lifeblood of this country and the the characters that. Oh yeah, Fed's trying to call me. Oh mate, uh, the Fedson. Fedson. I'll call him later. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that, but yeah, we were up there, uh, Cal Barry, we drove up there and, and Craigie, it was like kind of a bit of a rough time. They had that weird fucking cyclone, some like cyclone that come down the coast and boiled off all the abalone, like, and just destroyed him and his dad's family business. So he was just, that sounds pretty, it was so psycho. Tidak Bagus. Oh, it was fucking, uh, Sangat Tidak Bagus, <laughs> Taman. Yeah. Uh, a really bad friend, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, they were getting by, like, they were, he was doing all right, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a, a tough time, but at the same time, like, you wouldn't know it, like, the guy's, like, still as classic as ever, like, super funny, fucking showing us the ropes, um, you know, we were fucking having the hell time on the kettles and fish whistles and beers and packing a couple of uh, little tubes around the joint, it was fucking all time. I had the Speaking best of which, time. I just cracked a freshie. Cracked a fresh one, Tsst. Better be what are these oh. things? The uh the zero carb, I think. Very nice. Cheers. Um so yeah, shout out to Craigie. We'll get him on the show soon. Yeah, get him on. But uh yeah, so Young Guns 3, what happens after that? Like so you you fucking your profile must have exploded at that point. Yeah. Um well, I guess yeah, won the world junior title and then I guess that led me into Young Guns. And then it was just kind of a bit of a whirlwind. Did a few more trips, and I guess I was doing grommet comps still then. Um, and then, you know, the other world juniors. Um, dude cruise happened. That was a thing. That was oh, yeah. pretty fun. With Bruce Iant. Yeah. So Fuck, that what was that was like, man? Fucking so loose, man. Holy shit. No, I remember that the quickie pro finished, and we were going down to do the trip, and they had a, a couple of vans. And they just picked me up on the side of the highway at the Byron turnoff when we were going to Foster. And they rocked up and they just had a massive esky full of beers and, you know, the final had finished, so everyone was half cut already. 
mum dropped me off on the side of the highway. They picked me up. <coughs> and I opened the door and everyone was pretty caned already. And mum was just like, oh my God, what's happened to my son? <laughs> <laughs> and then we just, yeah, we went to Foster and filmed the movie and pretty much just drunk beers for a week straight and filmed. It was epic. Yeah. It was great. That's like the pointy end of the pro surfing existence those team trips yeah it's no pressure no pressure you're just cruising on someone else's dime surfing and drinking and, and whatnot you got the cow by the udder absolutely milking it milking it milking it I definitely that's for sure yeah oh, I just remember in that in that film too Bruce flips that car that was fucking psycho yeah it was like pretty, pretty classic pretty classic and uh, yeah I don't know like also pretty skids yeah, I guess, and then after that, it just went to QS, Warrior, Battler. Did that for ages. A few CTs. Kind of nearly made it. Had an absolute ball doing it, but QE was... I don't know, it was a bit different back then. I feel like there was a lot more events and like it was an actual tour. Like We'd start in England, and then we go England, France, Spain, Portugal, Azores. Mm. Like for three months and you go to brazil twice a year and <laughs> america a couple of times wow. and trips in between that and then finish in hawaii every year so it was just eight nine ten months of the year on the road frantic traveling man that's yeah, so insane traveling. so much sick man. like sick though but like you wouldn't want to be doing it for 10 years like max maxime Husano. i don't I, some of the guys i used to do it with are still doing it. yeah like, that guy yeah, well, you just got you, you just want to write them off, but you're like, well, props too if you if you still wow. love it and you're still still there and you're still not working. Pretty good. Like True. sometimes I'm like, maybe I should have just kept doing it. Well, and then I and then I'm just like, yeah, nah. Definitely rather just go down the coast and go surfing. Or well, instead of spending all the money to do the QS, just you go live in Indo for a year and get absolutely coned. Yeah, and I guess that's the difference. We've been a pro surfer from Reunion Island versus Australia. Like, you know, he's like, what, one of two pro surfers from Reunion Island in history. And your, like, your budget is being split up amongst fucking a lot more people. So they're a lot less lenient in terms of giving you leeway to just fucking piss money up the wall, getting yeah. dirty turds Everyone at fucking Sacramento. back in the day, though, to do it. Mm. I don't understand how dudes on the CT don't have sponsors these days. Like, there's that many people surfing, the industry's so big, and there's still guys without sponsors. Yet, back in the day, it'd be a hundred deep dudes getting eighty grand a year, and like, what's going on? Who's who's raking it all in? Someone's just holding onto all their chips and stitching dudes up. It's fucking Soros or Bezos or one of them cunts. Spread the love, mate. It's, it's such a good question. We talk about it all the time. Like, uh, fuck, it's it's baffling. You know, surfing's on an exponential growth curve going up going north it's fucking off the graph right now in terms of can't see in the water but yeah there's not much loot to go around yeah and um yeah so talk us through the queue in those days like who was your crew and like that's super interesting like i've never actually heard someone throw a figure out there for what like your average fucking pablo paulino slash garrett parks was on during that period 80k a year to chase the queues not bad good size just enough to probably break even though but true like i said i was milking it i did i got pretty lucky um the surfing industry was before the global financial crisis Mm. like there was heaps of money in surfing so 
I was making good coin. That, yeah, no regrets there. That was sick. Um, but yeah, every, everyone had enough money to do the QE and go around comfortably. Like we still shared cars and hotels and, and all that. Um, I used to travel with Davey a lot, Ricardo Christie, um, Hoggy. Oh. Hoggy was still there. Like, wow. The QE when I was still doing it. So he just fallen off the tour at that point. And he was coming back. But um, what was it like uh, sharing space with the blistering hog mode? Classic. He had because he was such an old dog, and I was a new dude. Like always picking his brains about you know how it used to be, like the old days and stuff. So he had some pretty classic stories. Fucking earth, ain't that swell, favourite? It's done a couple of podcasts with us. If you're looking for a rocket up your corn, go get a cop of the blistering hog. Yeah. Cop an earful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And where were you like? favorite stops or even your least favorite give us both i'd love to know like the most torturous joint as well i mean for waves europe was always pretty fun hawaii like obviously huntington waves absolutely suck but it's such a spectacle like it's pretty enjoyable people um, watching's off the charts now it's there. crazy like for a surf event like having fifty thousand people on the beach is just it's crazy. It makes you feel like a rock star, which, you know, in surfing is pretty crazy. Um, I used to like the Azores Islands. We used to have a, mm. a QS there every year. And it was just, it's like these volcanic islands in the middle of the Atlantic and black sand beaches. And the waves were always fun. It was pretty warm and like weird culture, beautiful scenery and stuff. So that was pretty, that was fun. Hey, what is the deal? Is that like near the Canaries? I think it's more, more further north. So it's off Portugal. Oh, it's off Portugal. Yeah. And uh, what's the like ethnicity of the people there? Portuguese. All our Portuguese. Portuguese, yeah. True. Yeah. It pops up from time to time. You don't hear about it all that often. I think some of the other islands too have some pretty mental waves. You'd think so. They get fucking yeah. drilled by swell. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's so interesting, man. Um, but like, we had other random spots. Like, we, where'd we go? El Salvador. We had a comp one year, like a mental right-hand point. That was sick fun. Same one that had the CT on? I think so, yeah. 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 It's like a, kind of like a little like Lennox on. Yeah. That was sick. And what about like, uh, I mean, what about just war stories? Like fucking skits happenings, like fuck on El Salvador back in the day would have been pretty yeah, potentially it's sketchy. Ske- it's, it's got like one of the biggest gang populations in yeah. the world, I think. Like there's cool. dudes getting around with gats and stuff at, at, the, um, at the comp site. Yeah, and they're not soldiers, they're just... No, nah, they're soldiers. Oh, they are. Yeah, security and stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely sketchy, but sick. And then transitioning, like, away from... Well, actually, talk to us about getting close to the CT, man. Like, how, like it must have meant a lot to you, like, you know, to go that far and, and travel the world for, what was it, four years or something? Yeah. And, and come, like, a... a, a, a a beast Spot dick. short of a beastie, yeah. I mean, fuck, talk us through that because every year it happens to some poor bastard. Yeah, I mean, some people probably expect me to be a bit like bitter about it or like weird about it, but I think at that stage it was the top 32. So like back in the day it was top 44. So in my head, I'm just like, well, top 32. If it was top 44 back in the day, I would have been like well inside it and sweet. But on the flip side, I was getting paid to travel and surf and live the dream so regardless of whether i quotations made it or not Mm. like i still got to do all that sick stuff um i got real close i mean i was first reserve 
that year that I did, I can't remember what it was, 30, finished 33rd or 34th or something like that. So I still got to surf snapper and I still got to surf chobe. So, you know, tick those boxes. I actually got to surf a couple of CTs, which is sick. Um, yeah, I guess at the time, like, I was at, it was sunset. I needed to make the final to qualify. And I got third in the semis or something. I remember, I think I took off on like a big West Peak one and just was a bit late and got caught behind it. And, and that was it. But um, yeah, it stung for a bit, but maybe a year or two. But I look back on it now and I'm just like, oh, it's all water under the bridge. Like, everything I've done and what did in surfing, I look back on it fondly and it's like, absolute wildest time of my life so no regrets from me i'm stoked and then when i did decide to leave and pull the pin on the on the qe it was it was on my terms and yeah so I was, i'm sweet with it and uh yeah man talk to us about the transition away from competing and, and, and what you did with yourself in those first few years afterwards yeah it's, it's kind of funny i guess um I've been doing the QE for ages and had that year where I nearly made it and did a couple of CTs and stuff. And next year rolled around. I'd been doing, I was running for Zion. I still kind of am, I guess. If Mad Dog wants to give me another free word, I'd be frothing. Um, <laughs> but we're doing a, a trip down in Tassie and we began pumping waves. And I remember I had to go back for the Oz Open at Manly and the heat draw was out or something. and. I wasn't surfing for another couple of days or anyway the ways were cooking and for some weird reason they decided to run like the last four heats of the round I was in like the day before so they like brought it forward so I'd like quickly leg it from Tassie fly to Sydney fang it to Manly and got there that Arvo and surf my heat in one foot absolute crap waves at Manly and and lost and I was just like I just left pumping waves with the boys to fly up here, all stressed out about this big comp to start the year off and lost. So I just walked up the beach and I was like, in my head, I just went, I'm done. And just walked off the beach and I was like, I'm done. I remember I had a couple of mates from Byron there who came down to watch and I was like, I'm done, boys. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, yeah. Dave was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, see you later. Got my stuff, went back down to the South Coast to Sam Wrench's. I was actually living with him for a, a couple of years on the South Coast, spending heaps of time there just because the waves were better and beautiful part of the world. So I drove back down there, packed my car and just drove south, straight to South Australia, straight to Heath Josky's house out near Streaky. Fuck, what did you guys do out there? There's no oh, waves out there. That would have no, been awful. That would have been no, so boring. No waves. So this is when he just first started building his, his skits farm down there and just went and pitched a tent there and... Went surfing and hung out and camped at his and helped build some rocks and walls and stuff like that. And yeah, ended up spending like six months in South Oz. Mm. Wow. Just cruising and then go no between. Way. Go back to Adelaide, party for a bit, go back out to the Des and surf some of the sickest waves I'd like ever had. Some massive slabs. And actually had like a sense of like, whoa, this is epic. Like I'm still getting mental joy out of challenging myself in like bigger waves and slabs so that felt good and then did a indo trip on a boat with my dad and mono and um a couple other kneeboarders is that the, the guy with one leg yeah. who's the nilo from byron and like like full 
semi-goatish Paralympian. So yeah, so he, my dad makes his boards and Mono sprays my boards when I get boards. So Mental. That was sick. So I had a year off once I pulled the pin on the um, Washers League at Manly and that was 2016. Yeah, 2016. And then went to Canada for end of the year, went snowboarding. Um, JS? Was he, nah, was he living over there at that point? Nah, Red Dog. True. And I was, like, slept under, under a staircase in a Harry Potter cupboard for a... Like, <laughs> Curled for, up like a cat. For a season, I just went snowboarding over there and came home. And I remember some... I think it was my auntie. She was quite sick at the time. Um, she asked me what I was going to do, and I was like... Oh, I just had a year off, and she, I, she, I remember she asked, knew I wanted to join the army back in the day, and she was like, "Oh, what are you going to do? So, are you going to join? Do you still want to join the army?" I was like, "Oh, maybe," and that kind of clicked it, and then, yeah, from there, started lifeguarding, did that through that summer, end of 16, 17, and then joined the army, started 17, and pretty much did that full time on and off between that and lifeguarding hmm. from 17 for four or five years, and then yeah, so. It was a good transition. I could have just been washers in Byron after surfing and, I don't know, something like that. But I kind of made the conscious decision to do something meaningful and yeah. purposeful in my life and put my physical body and, you know, my mind to something more than myself after having such a good run. Give back to community, country, um, help other people. So, man, it was a, it all panned out pretty well in the end, so... There's a remarkable show of maturity. Like there is no shortage of washed up, jaded crew around Byron or any other coastal town, man. Fucking hey, there's, hell. And there's nothing wrong with being washed up and cruising and surfing. That's also the dream. Yeah, right? but jaded and like selfish and, you know, have never done anything for anyone yeah, but themselves. Like some people and I'm not having a stab at Byron. Like this is a, a fucking, you find them in Bondi, you find them yeah. the, the whole East Coast. But um, not many people... Uh, go out and, and challenge themselves like that, especially specifically with those things in mind. Or yeah. did you have them in mind at the time that you wanted to serve your country and the community or was it you just realised that Kinda. as it was unfolding? Well, I remember heaps of people used to always give me shit when I was sooking about, you know, going away for cons or losing. Yeah. Oh, you've got the best job in the world. You've never worked a day in your life. Mm, mm. So I guess by people, that kind of like, so, well, if you reckon that can't work and then work a day in my life, watch this. Mm, you know, so interesting. Joining joining up and doing army stuff like it's a pretty full-on job at times and you know that that's a job in itself you know that a lot of people haven't done and yeah and that kind of gave me the the drive post surfing and something to focus on and you know keep moving forward and bettering myself and moving on to the to the next chapter as some might say that's amazing very respectable and in that period in between joining the army and, and when you quit the tour, fuck man, I watched a couple of clips that you put out. I don't know who it was for. Whether What were they called? Maybe it was for a, van, a fans for or Zion. Zion. Was it was Zion. for Zion? I a bunch of trips with them. Like, fuck, that mate. That was the best year of my life. Bro, after I... you pack some fucking rompers during that period. There's some... Cr- what are the, the films actually called? Because so you were far. Um, we went to New Zealand a few times and then we did a trip to Iceland as well. That was mental. That's the best place I've ever been. We got sick waves in Iceland. Yeah, what's going on in Iceland? Lots of ice mm. and waves and snow and. What yeah. kind of waves are we talking? Fun little points, reefs. We found a slab, so like it bits of everything. But it's it's core, like it's really cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, like you know when you're packing a slab there. 
in Iceland? I mean, what's that feel like? I mean, what are you thinking? Like, what are you? What, what's the combos like? It's, it's an insane really, concept. It's really cold. Like you don't. It, 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 I've getting surfed, beat down sucks when yeah. it's that cold and you're like oh god I've surfed in the North Sea it's 2 degrees Celsius up there which I think is, is probably rough the reason it's so cold is because it's it's almost landlocked yeah. um, and I, I don't think it gets much colder than that anywhere in the world because it freezes over when it's anything yeah. less well Iceland gets heaps as well yeah. it's an island so it's like right Get swells from everywhere. Uh, and it's like, that's where all of those swells that hammer Hawaii begin is in so, that yeah. channel in between Iceland and Russia. Or oh, is it, what's, yeah, is that Europe right? and... No, Iceland and, uh, what's fucking, what would be Greenland? East? No. Oh, well, that's up Europe, there in the Europe arc. and stuff, like Norway and Denmark right. and Swiss, Sweden shit. So not Russia, America is the other, yeah, is the yeah. east of it. But yeah, in that yeah. channel, right? The, those Arctic hurricanes and yeah, yeah it's the top of the Atlantic. But yeah, that year was pretty much the best year of waves I ever had. It was epic. Because I didn't have to spend time doing comps and pretty much used the last of my... Could have used the last of my savings to do another year on the QE or just get absolutely coned. Mm. And I'm so glad that I went and just got pitted off my scorn. Mm. Yeah, it was mental. Yeah, mate, talk to us about Iceland though. Like, what's the culture like? What, what do you remember seeing uh, beyond just the surfing experience? Well, we just had a van. I think there was five of us. There was me, um, the Neilo, Shane, um, James Cates, Morgs Hives, and Mad Dog was filming. And so there was five of us in yeah, a van. Yeah, Morgs. I met that dude in Ireland, I think yeah. just after that trip, maybe. Or before. Maybe. He, well, he, he, yeah, he, he, he was telling me about time. Iceland because, yeah, he was, I was staying with uh, Mickey and Fergal Smith and he was mates of them. Yeah. And he was there and I was like, well, what were the chances of a yeah, burger like who? Well, we pretty much just ate servo hot dogs and drunk shit tons of beer and lots of <laughs> coffee. Mad dogs, mad, they're mad on the brews. Yeah, so, they're full yeah. Um, bean fiends, aren't they? That crew, that, they're like the, yeah. the, the kind of gong crew, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah. yeah. No, Zion. Hooked me up back in the day. They they got me on some sick trips. And what are the names of those films? Because our listeners will, will, um, will Google them up. They're worth watching. The Iceland one's No Country for Cold Men. <laughs> we just call it No Cunning. Um, <laughs> I think it's on Vimeo or YouTube or somewhere. And um, if you go into the Zion Vimeo site, I think. I don't know if they're still alive or whatnot. You have to ask Mad Dog. But there's some some funny clips with Has. Has he been? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And Zed, um, yeah. There's a bunch. Of, bunch What's of the one with the fucking psycho slaps in it? But like, there's uh, yeah. There's I remember one wave that you got in one of those films that come out during that period where I was shocked. I didn't know you had it in you. It was yeah, nuts. I think it's um one of the um. I don't know if it was a Z clip. I think a Fens might have put it out. Yeah, I think it was an a Fens one. Yeah, it was from a session. That one's from a session we had at one of the notorious slabs down there. It was a cooking day. Mark Healy was out. No way. A um, bunch of other Southwest WA dudes were towing and stuff as well. Getting uh, It was really scary. And um, You paddled that one though? I think I paddled a couple and then this South Oz lad, Jai, was like, jump on the rope. And I was like, oh, all right, guess so. I was like, just give me a small one to start with. And he's like, yeah, yeah, right. Doors. And I should have gone deeper. That's, I kicked myself more about that than anything I did in the comp. <laughs> comp scene was not going deeper on that one. Yeah. but I, f- I feel like the, the wave I'm thinking of was, was paddled, but my memory could yeah, be off. Yeah, it might have been. I haven't watched that in fucking 
that that clip in years. But yeah, man, like, what's it like, you know, sharing energy like that or like being in energy like that? Like, That's exactly what I needed after like surfing is to you know feel something else from surfing other than satisfaction from a comp result because unless you're winning you're not really feeling good about losing all the time so to actually push yourself in bigger waves you know and you know get that reward from yourself getting yourself out of the comfort zone and you know surfing new waves and getting absolutely flogged and you know it feels good Hmm. crazy man and the vision in that thing oh some skits vish bruh fuck your pineal must have been throbbing. You'd have to milk that thing when you got to shore. Yeah, just it was, drain it. It was definitely wound up like a woohoo. Holy yeah. shit! You would have had a fucking just full leech yeah. in your third eye, just thick, orbing, orbing, just fucking leaking crystalline goodness down the cerebellum for days. You'd just been marinating in the Vishnu. Oh yeah, nothing. A couple of tins in the des can't fix though. Mmm. That's it. Yep. Mate, it's crazy too. Like a uh, a month in the desert, like a week in the desert is like a year. A month is like seven yeah, years. Yeah, sun, S- flies. Yeah, well, when you're camping. Showering. Yeah, and living in your car. It's it, so good though. It's sick. It's a fucking, the reset you would have got from six months down there would have been like, you would have just felt like fucking Brad Pitt after you went to Tibet for seven years. Pretty much. I wasn't in the desert the whole time. I'm not that skits. I got a mate, Kane overall, who lived in Adelaide. So, go stay at his. Slept in his garage in my swag most of the time. And then just hit hit, hit, a, hit a town in Adelaide. Get your fix there. Get it out of your system. Hit the carver bars? Carver bars. Didn't yeah. hit them. I was just strictly tins, I think. True. Mm. And, then, and then go back out when the swell was good and... It's pretty grim if it's windy and like mm. cold and there's no waves. It's a long way to go and it's mm. anyway. Probably should stop talking about down there. Someone might get angry. Oh yeah, uh, <coughs> I think heaps type into his phone as we speak. <laughs> and I'm gonna get. We're both getting a Frosty, fucking Frosty's gonna absolutely blast. Belt me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, probably have to delete that last bit. But uh, <laughs> apart from that. Been a pleasure, mate. It has been a great time. Well so, played. I've been frothing on the potty too. I've been spending oh, yeah? a lot of time um, driving solo the mm. last year, and surfing like is just pretty stagnant. So it's good to hear some actual, you know, edgy core, mm. something different, different take on the whole. I'm, it's just good not to hear something going. Oh yeah, my equipment's feeling good. I'm my my six so rounded square. You know, I've been mm. training. Oh, one heat at a time. One heat at a time, yeah. Mm. yeah. Looking forward to bouncing back to the next event or something. Nah, well said, very Muff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, onwards and upwards with the swellions, we're hitting the road very soon. It's going to be a fucking full bolt hole, cornhole full of shenanigans. And uh, yeah, it'll be fucking mad. I don't know if we're, we're doing one on the Goldie, not one at Byron, but were you there for the one in Byron? Nah. I missed that one. Willsy oh. was there though. Oh yeah, he was there. He was there. He was. Uh, I wish I was there. He was strangely. He seemed a little tense, a little lockjawed almost. There was almost like some, I don't know, some white residue on the corner <laughs> corner of his mouth. No. Like, yeah, it was just. I don't know what frothing. was going on there. He yeah, was it was froth. It he was, was frothing to be. He was, there. he was over frothing. Yeah, he was so frothing he could barely get a word out. But yeah, that was a uh, 
a classic evening. I think it was his like, it was so cosmic because we were hitting him up going, Will's here, come on, mate, come on the show. And he was, he was ghosting us, ghosting us. And then it turns out like it was his daughter's 18th or, or 21st or something. And they're like, you know, traveling Kentucky tour just ended up at the Northern and he was in the crowd <laughs> just by chance. And we fucking hoiked him up on stage. But yeah, it was a good night, that one. Yeah, the Northern. Sickness. Mad. Mad. If any listeners haven't heard the Kong episode too, I'd recommend going. Oh, yeah. That's my favourite. Talk about lockjawed fucking Kong, mate. Holy smokes. Absolutely gold. That was a turning point in the life of Gary Elkerton too. The the next time I saw him after that, I I don't think he liked... Because that's the thing about podcasts. It's like... It's not even like holding a mirror up to your face. It's holding a mirror up to your personality. Yeah. And like listening. I hope I don't sound too strooked on here. Oh no! You, you, this will be a turning point for you. hundred <laughs> percent. You're gonna be fucking so off this dude. You're gonna be straight in the Wim Hof ice bath program. Fully out. But uh, yeah, next time I saw Kong, cause he was like fucking blown out, deluxe, like so like Marlon Brando morbidly obese at that point. And the next time I saw him, he was doing one-armed push-ups while drinking a schooner full of raw eggs and fucking just so ripped back on the track. Yes. To greatness. He's the man. Getting back outside. I love the Kong. Fucking up. Booyah. Mad. Thank you, mate. Appreciate you, brother. Cheek-a-cheek. You want something? Yeah, make banana cry. Yeah. Oh, big banana. What you want, mister? Once you have your need, I give you a good... Rice. <laughs> mastum, mastum. Sudo. Sudo. Hashish, hashish, marijuana, marijuana. Chiki chiki. Psst. Chiki chiki.